What's good? You already know who it is, and if you don't know who it is, it's your man Leon Benson, aka Leon Genesis, aka your mom's favorite personal trainer, aka Let's Get It, aka Let's Work, aka Always Working, aka Features Thompson in the building. What it do? We back at it again, man. This is episode 110, season three of the Passion Purpose Perspective podcast by yours truly. We out here, we working. Man, it is Sunday, fun day, July 31st, two, uh, yeah, 2022. We got a lot to talk about, man. So, yeah. Let's just get it started. Last episode, we discussed permanent fat loss and whether or not that's possible. And then we also discussed when you lose money in the stock market, just how it happens, how much you you need to get back to breaking even versus making money, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I also discussed how important it is for retail investors including myself, to be cognizant of where we are in the liquidity cycle. So yeah, if you want to go back into the feed, that was episode 109. You can go check that out for yourself. Um, Today, I want to talk about fitness, of course. But um, there was was an article I found on psychologytoday.com. It was by PhD Charlotte Markey. And... The the title of the article is Four Reasons Why It's Not Your Fault If You Can't Lose Weight. And just that title alone, it drove me absolutely insane. And I'm not here to try to knock this individual, but yeah, I have some I have some rebuttals about this. So again, the article was called Four Reasons Why It's Not Your Fault If You Can't Lose Weight. So number one, she wrote Attempts at weight loss are usually psychologically uh, maladaptive, which I'm not even going to front on you guys. I have no idea what maladaptive means, but uh, basically saying that restriction is not fun and that uh, just the amount of mental space that it takes to count grams of sugar it can create like, you know, just just all types of psychological uh, negatives, if you will. And to me, it's just like, OK, my response to that is it's called discipline for a reason. It's called delayed gratification for a reason. Um, you You shouldn't to me and my, you know, unqualified opinion. You shouldn't look at losing weight as a matter of restriction because it's not about restriction when you really break it down. It's actually about physical expansion in regards to creating a better physical version of yourself, which if you're basically that's going to tie into a healthier uh just healthier internal organs in a literal sense, just a better well-being in a figurative and literal sense as well. But again, like 
it's if you're going into it um looking at it as oh me losing weight is going to be all about restriction then you're not understanding the importance of overall health and well-being um you're looking at it from a very immature perspective if you're saying things like restriction is not fun because it isn't about restriction it is about discipline however and yes um losing weight is also about delaying instant gratification or just delaying gratification in general you have to make sacrifices uh you know when you're losing weight there there's no way around that you're gonna have to sacrifice something time uh you're gonna have to sacrifice you know some of your favorite foods that might be high in calories or high in fats that are not good for you um you know you might have to sacrifice you know some of your favorite clothes that you wear because at some point you are going to start to lose enough weight to where you don't fit the clothes that you used to be able to fit um the list goes on and on i mean even in regards to who you associate with uh when you're maybe at your lowest physically or you're not at your healthiest versus the new version of you when you lose weight guess what you might have to lose one or two friends along the way. Um, but again, it's just like, it isn't about worrying about like what what is restricting you. It's about focusing on what is the end goal and how is this making me a better individual? How is this increasing my quality of life and my life expectancy? Because when you look at it that way, you're not going to look at it in in a in a from a perspective of restriction. No, you're going to look at it at, from a perspective of expansion. Okay, so let me get into number 2. So, number 2, she wrote, "Your weight is written in your genes. 80% of height and weight are due to genetic makeup." And then she goes on to say, um basically saying that when you're when you're basically saying that because your genetics are already written because they already are what they are she she made a reference to height and basically was saying that a person would not spend much of their time trying to get taller and to me, that was kind of a stupid example. Why would anyone focus on getting taller if they are cognizant of the fact that height is hereditary or, or it's genetic? Your height is is what it is. It's already there. So it, it just was kind of an overly simplified you know, just generic way of looking at weight loss. And honestly, I wasn't feeling it at all. But basically saying like, um, that it's, it's stupid to spend more time focusing on trying to get taller and less, less time on uh, altering weight. So basically it's just, See, this is why I don't like reading articles because it just it com- it confuses me because it doesn't make sense. Like, 
But it basically, number two was saying like, you don't want to be hell-bent on the numbers. You don't want to be hell-bent on the scale, what the scale says. You want to have healthy habits, um, healthy eating habits, healthy exercise habits, which I completely agree with. But the whole aspect of a person focusing on being taller as like uh, uh, a perspective a person shouldn't have, that to me, it just threw me completely off. But yes, I do agree that you should focus more on healthy habits when you're trying to lose weight. You shouldn't focus on uh, how good or bad your genetics are because that's at, like that's beside the point. You have to work with what you have. You can't you can't change your genetic makeup. I understand that part. So in that regard, yes, don't focus on. And this is I feel like that's how she should have worded it. She should have just said something along the lines of. Don't you can't you can't change your genetics. So don't focus on changing your genetics. Focus on changing your healthy habits or your daily habits or your exercise habits or your nutritional habits. But yeah, just the way that the wording was, I wasn't feeling it. But let me get into number three. And again, this is four reasons why it's not your fault. You can't lose weight, which again, the title drives me nuts. But going into number three, um, she says attempts to lose weight make you gain weight. And then. It also goes on to say people go through cycles um, and then also they made a good point. Uh, she made a good point where she says when attempting to lose weight, only do so through dietary and activity changes you expect to maintain long term. And I had a rebuttal in between all of that. And I basically was saying. In regards to people going through cycles where sometimes they lose weight, sometimes they gain weight. This happens, in in my opinion, because they don't stick to a routine that works or they stop completely or don't follow the program precisely. So, of course, you're going to possibly get a negative outcome or an outcome that you don't desire, whether it's in the short term or the long term. Um, and I've dealt with that with clients in the past where, you know, they're not getting the results they should be because they're not following the program with precision. They're just kind of, you know, just galloping through it as if, you know, they just get like the basic ideas of it and then they do their own thing on the side. And it's just like, if, if you don't need my help, if you don't need my assistance, if you don't need my ideas or whatever, if you don't need like, why, why bother going through that whole process if you're not going to follow the plan. Um, So yeah, of course, you should focus on nutritional programming and physical activity that you can consistently engage in over a long duration of time. Um, So even with saying something like that, that basically is implying or the implication there would be don't don't create a nutritional program that is so strict and just so like overly uh optimistic that you can't keep up with it or that it messes with your energy levels um or that it actually causes you to become malnourished over time because it just doesn't have um enough of the you know macro nutrient nutrient uh just the macronutrient uh, aspects of it. You know, your proteins, your carbs, your fats. 
or even some of the micronutrients in regards to just vitamin A, vitamin K, magnesium, you know, zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D, etc. All the different like you don't want to have a diet that's so that's so restrictive that you can't keep up with it. And in the same breath, you don't want to have a training program that is so intense to where you're so beat up and bruised up that you're not able to recover. Ergo, you're not able to get the results that you need to get because your body is just constantly beat down and you're not recovering from the previous workout. Ergo, you get into the law of diminishing returns and you just ruin ruin all of your progress. Um, so yeah, that's basically just a long-winded answer on attempts of losing weight and basically how, you know, yeah, some people, they're going to fluctuate. But um, again, for some people, their weight's going to fluctuate, of course, for reasons that they cannot necessarily control in regards to their genetic makeup, um, as we discussed in point, uh, point number two that she made. So yeah, you have to constantly be monitoring that at all times. You have to be monitoring, okay, your genetic makeup is what it is. You knowing that is going to be your North Star. It's going to give you um, an idea of what you can do and what you can't do and just how to stay on track with the things that you can control um, via your diet, via your exercise routine. But um, where's number four at? Okay, so let me get into the last point of this article. Um, and it says, and this is in regards to gut bacteria. It says the microbiome is relevant, um, is relevant too. And then it goes on to say the microbiome is comprised of a complex network of bacteria, viruses, and fungi gut microbiomes are relevant to our immune system, mental health, metabolism, and weight status. Microbiomes are influenced by diet, stress, and environment. And they also affect the amount of energy that is extracted from the food we consume and how energy is stored. And then it also says it's related to body composition and possibly weight. These things and many other factors affect how much we eat, and what we weigh. And then it's, uh, the article goes on to say, eat food that nourishes the body and adopt, exercise, and, and adopt an exercise routine that you enjoy. So going back into point number four with the gut bacteria, um, where are we at here? Basically where it says it affects the amount of energy that's extracted from the food we consume and how energy is stored. Um, and then it just being related to body composition um, and just how much food we can eat and what we can weigh. Again, in my opinion, I know I should have done more research on this, but you can influence your bodies to adapt to different stimulus, different types of nutritional uh, programming, different types of training that you do, your body can can adjust. I'm not saying everybody's going to get the same results, but you can get a better result from your starting point by changing the foods that you eat and by changing your exercise routine. 
Um, your body will start to get stronger. It will begin to process foods, assuming you're eating low calorie dense foods that are nutritious for you. It will start to, um, those foods will start to replenish you, nourish you, um, and clean out your internal organs, clean out the, the microbiome and the gut bacteria, which some of it, obviously we need. Um, but yeah, it's just like, it, it all boils down to finding a nutritional program with low calorie dense foods that you, that you actually like and a, and a, and a nutritional plan that you can actually keep up with one that is within the realm of your your level of discipline because everybody doesn't have the same amount of discipline and then yeah an exercise program that you like that you enjoy so you can stick to it for the long term um but yeah i mean some of these points was just like what like yeah, some stuff you cannot control. Again, you can't control your genetics. Um, you can't control outside forces. However, yes, you can control your daily habits. Um, you can increase your your amount of discipline or you can delay instant gratification in regards to maybe eating junk food versus eating fruits and vegetables or lean proteins. But people have to want it. You have to want it more than you want to be, you know, overweight or out of shape or whatever, or not as strong or not as muscular. You got to want it way more than, than, than not having it at all, which again, that's just going to come down to discipline as well as consistency, but as well as finding a happy medium, you got to find a happy medium as to where, again, you like the food. You can, you can find a healthy way to make the food taste good, so that way you can stick to your nutritional routine. And then again, yes, finding exercises that you like. Um, it's such a simple concept. It's such a simple idea. It's just, I honestly feel like people quit on themselves. People give up on themselves or people make excuses. And also people have, uh, you know, individuals around them that enable them to quit or give up or half-ass their, their, their routines. Um, so yeah, when you look at those outside forces or when you look at your lack of consistency or your lack of discipline outside of your genetics, it is your fault to a certain degree. No, you can't change your genetics. That's not your fault, but you can change your daily habits. Um, and as far as like the psychological, uh, you know, tendencies and implications of, you know, fitness and nutrition, it's like, Look, if you want to be healthier, if you want to if you want to get in better shape, you don't have to be in the best shape in the world. You don't got to be the the leanest, you know, most muscular individual or be able to run, you know, uh 20 miles nonstop. But you can adopt healthier habits in your life every single day in order to get you to a a healthier version of yourself regardless of what that looks like to anybody else. You can control your habits. You can um you can build upon your level your current level of discipline. You can become better. Um maybe you can't be the most muscular, maybe you can't be the thinnest or leanest uh you know 
Maybe you can't gain the most weight or lose the most weight or whatever. But again, you can adopt healthier habits to get you to a satisfactory level of overall fitness and nutrition and well-being. You can do that. But that is going to come with your daily habits, your daily routines, the things that you're doing. Um, so if you see an article that says four reasons why it's not your fault, you can't like, no, no, your genetics, you cannot change. I get that. There are other, um, you know, there are other health factors that affect some of us. I get it. Those things, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about individuals that they are cognizant of what they're doing on a daily basis. They have their mental capacity with them. They physically are capable, you know, of walking or running or, you know, doing sit-ups or whatever the case may be. Like, wherever your level is at, um, you know, you can make changes. You can make adjustments. It's going to be different for every single person. Um, So I'm not trying to, like, single anybody out or whatever, but I'm saying, like, It starts with you and it starts with your habits. You can at least, at bare minimum, you can begin to change some of your habits. It might start with your diet. It might start with what what things you eat every day. You can start with that. And you can slowly start to replace the, the bullshit foods that you eat that are causing health complications or making you, you know, gain weight or whatever or hold on to, to excess weight that you don't want. And you can change out some of those foods. Um, you can you can change you can go for the low sodium seasonings or you can go for the sugar free items. Um, you know, again, you can go for the lean proteins, the fruits, the vegetables, etc. You can do that. You can do that, assuming that your genetics don't don't uh, go against you in regards to you know maybe there are certain things that you might be allergic to. Maybe you have food allergies or whatever. Okay, but beyond the food allergies, um, you know. Beyond the genetic predispositions, there are things that you can do to change some of your habits. You can change some of the ways that you eat. Um, And then as far as the exercise, yeah, I mean, there's little things that you can do. You know, even if you're, you know, sitting, all you can do is sit. Maybe you can get, you know, some little five pound dumbbells or some two pound dumbbells if you're not, you know, and you could do some curls or you can do some overhead tricep extensions and just to kind of get the momentum going in the right direction until you're able to maybe, you know, get up off the chair or get up off the couch or get up out of the bed over time by adopting, again, a a nutritional program that you can begin to uh, maintain over the long distance while still using your body or the, or the, the, the parts of your body that can move to exercise or just to get things going in the right direction. But yeah, it, I mean, it starts with the habits. Um, so yeah, that basically is just a long winded ass way of saying, you know, you can change your daily habits for sure. Um, you know, you can do that bare minimum, you can change your habits and that can start to build some type of momentum for you. So you can get on uh, a healthier path, but yeah, man, that's all I wanted to talk about with that. So hopefully you enjoyed the fitness segment of this episode. Now it is time to get into the nitty gritty real quick, because I got a lot to unpack here. 
Um, so I'm gonna try to be quick. Um, so yeah, forgive me if I begin to ramble on. But basically, all right, let me look at my notes here. So I do want to get into, oh, by the way, if you enjoyed that first segment, make sure you download, rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast. We got more episodes on the way. But yes, getting into the world of finance, getting into, you know, the stock market, Federal Reserve, just human psychology, and all of everything that's been going on lately. Um, Yeah, man, I've just been thinking a lot. I've been doing a lot of research um, and just trying to analyze things and just to see to see, you know, what what happened, you know, previously in history and what's been happening so far and if anything is linked up or tied up or, you know, or if there's any correlations, you know, or whatever the case may be. But yeah, man, markets have been going crazy and on a tear. So, I originally was supposed to record this episode on Wednesday. Of course, now it is Sunday. But um previously I had that the S&P closed um at 4023.61 so it was 16.5% off of the January highs of 481862 so that would would be considered um a correction so we're still in correction territory um but then on Friday the market went crazy and started twerking again to the upside. Now, the market rallied um, quite significantly. And the close on Friday was 4,130.29. So 41.30.29 was the close on Friday. Um, now, that's 14.28% off of the January 4th highs of 2022. And those highs were 48.18.62. Once again, still in correction territory. Um, yeah, so the markets, they rallied on the back of earnings reports that were positive, uh, more specifically in the tech sector. No, I did not record or write down any of those uh, <laughs> tech companies that that caused this, this market rally. Um, but you probably can guess some of the main culprits. Um, the Googles, the Amazons, the Apples, the NVIDIAs, etc., whatever, the Teslas. I don't know any of the details for sure, but yeah. Anyway, on top of that, um, on Wednesday, Federal Reserve, they increased the Fed funds rate by seventy by another 75 basis points. So that was another huge culprit of what was going on. And then, yeah, before... I'm going to stop right there and I want to go back to something that I kind of was, you know, pondering and just struggling with. Now, something that I've been seeing online um, in the financial news, you know, just trending or whatever is um, just the outlook of whether we're going to have a recession or not or whether we are in a recession. And it's kind of irritating to me. I keep seeing people going back and forth. And we're talking about like professional economists that, you know, have been in the game and they've been doing this. And other, you know, various uh, just different outlets, media outlets, you know, um, financial analysts, etc. But 
and I don't and I don't know if there's like a split down the middle or what. I don't know what the percentage is of people who think we're in a recession versus not. But yeah, people are not agreeing on whether we are in a recession or not. Some people think that we are absolutely in a recession. Other individuals feel like from a technical perspective, we're not in a uh, in a recession. So, yeah. I wanted to get into that and I actually jotted down just some of my thoughts on it. But basically, I put here economists, analysts and politicians are arguing um, over the definition of a recession and I find it hilarious. And then I said, even during times of economic turmoil, our nation still disagrees as to what defines that turmoil. Like it or not, tight labor market or not, we are experiencing pain across many facets of life, many facets of the economy. Um, I understand technicalities are important, but the broader picture suggests we should stop debating and continue trying to fix things via interest rate hikes or interest rate cuts, you know, monetary tightening, global sanctions and anything else that reestablishes our economy so inflation doesn't get out of control. Those are just some of my thoughts briefly on the whole, you know, back and forth debate of whether we're in a recession or it's just a technical recession. Now, I also wrote down the definitions. So I have two definitions here. So the question is, what is a technical recession? So the definition, definition one, according to the Securities Institute of America, is defined as two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. Now, looking at that definition, we are in a recession. We are in a technical recession because, of course, the first quarter of 2022 GDP growth was negative. 1.6%. Now, this second quarter, there was another report on the GDP growth, and I believe it it came in at negative 0.9%. So that's two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. But that is just one version or one definition of a recession. So when you look at that data, when you look at the two negative quarters of GDP growth, by definition, that is a technical recession. Um, And that's according to, you know, uh, some people on one side, that's according to some people on the other side. Um, But again, okay, I want to get into definition number two. So definition number two, according to the National Bureau of Economic Research, a recession is defined as a significant decline in economic activity that is spread across the economy and that lasts more than a few months. It goes on to say three criteria being factored in are depth, diffusion, and duration measured right after a peak of activity that goes into a trough, a trough being the lowest economic output level. And then they also look at real personal income, less transfer, non-farm payroll employment. They look at real personal consumption expenditures, wholesale retail sales adjusted for price changes, employment measured by household survey and industrial production. 
And then it goes on to say there is no fixed rule about what measures uh, contribute to a recession. So as you can see, there's there's a bit of confusion in regards to what the definition of a recession is. So at this point, when you when you look at those two definitions, it's 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 clear to see that our nation will continue to disagree on what a recession is because of the technicalities, just the technicals, you know, and just the minute details of it. Um, one definition is just very straightforward. Two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. Boom, that's a recession. And then there's another definition, of course, where it's just, yeah, it gets into it. Significant decline in economic activity um, that is spread across the economy. Lasts more than a few months. You know, uh, three criteria are factored in. Depth, diffusion, duration, et cetera, et cetera. Like, it's very detailed. It's very, like, you know, nuanced. And there's so many different elements and dynamics to it that you have to consider. So, yeah, that's 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 going to cause some confusion amongst individuals like myself and other retail investors alike, especially for those who are not really keen on doing any type of research and just wondering whether we're in a recession or not, whether it's time to panic or not or whatever. And it's just like, man, can we just agree on a re- on, on, you know, whether we're in a recession or not? Because like it or not, in my funky ass opinion, we're there. We are there. When you look at everything that has happened you know, over the last, you know, I don't know, year or so, especially the last six months, it's like, we're, we're there, man, we're there. But, uh, one of, one of the interesting factors of this whole, you know, technical recession versus just a plain, plain and simple recession is unemployment being one of those, one of those little, uh, just, I don't know, caveats that makes things so interesting because, um, if my research is correct, um, unemployment is still at 3.6%. So I want to get into some other data that I, uh, that I wrote down in my notes here. So I found, um, a little chart and I jotted down just some of some of the some of the elements of it. And of course, this is in regards to the recession that we may or may not be in, whoever depending on who you ask. But basically, um this is according to statista.com um and it's a it was a chart with data courtesy of the National Bureau of Economic Research and the Bureau of Labor and Statistics. And it is entitled Peak Unemployment Rates During Recessions in U.S. Since World War II. So I'm going to I'm going to go through these quickly. So February 2020 to April 2020. This was the COVID-19 pandemic. Unemployment was 14.7 percent. July 1981 to November 1982 was the energy crisis. Unemployment was 10.8%. December 2007 through June 2009 was the housing bubble collapse. Unemployment was 10%. November 1973, March 1975 was the oil crisis and a stock market crash. Unemployment was 9%. March 2001, 
to November 2002 was the dot-com bubble and collapse, as well as uh, 9-11. Unemployment was 6.3%. And then the last one that I wrote was July 1953 to May 1954 um, was the Korean War aftermath. Unemployment rate was 6.1%. So, that being said... According to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, unemployment as of June 2022 is at 3.6%. And again, GDP in the first quarter decreased by 1.6%, and it decreased in the second quarter uh, by 0.9%. So... Um, some other information is consumer spending increased in May. Um, and then as of May... Personal income increased as well as personal savings rate as of May 2022. So those are some other interesting dynamics within the market that kind of have every it has everybody confused as to whether we're in a recession or whether we're not. Um, And to me, it just seems like we have to take everything for what it is. Um, It isn't good or bad. It is what it is. And my thing is. We're in a technical recession, sure, because two quarters of negative GDP growth is classified as a technical recession. Now, are we really in the thick of it? No, because according to some economists and politicians and professionals and individuals, unemployment needs to be well over 5% in order for us to really be in the thick of a recession. So to me, it seems like and it looks like we have just begun the recession and now we all get to see it play out and we have to navigate through it and make adjustments to our portfolios and actually make adjustments to our actual lives in regards to, you know, just careers and, and, and just how this could affect our families, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, to me, it seems like we should all just agree that it has begun and there are there's another there's another tidbit to this that has me wondering why some people just don't believe that we're in a recession. Um, and I have it here. So there's something called the yield curve inversion. And basically what happens in regards to yield curves, what the hell is a yield curve? So basically. The yield curve measures the spread between different securities. These securities usually are treasury bonds uh, and or treasury bills. And more specifically, investors who invest in debt securities um, and, and other securities, whether it's treasury bonds or treasury bills or treasury notes, they look at the 10-year treasury and the two-year and the two-year treasury and the spread between that the spread being the difference in the yield how much how what what percentage those those uh those investments yield and when when those when the when those spreads widen typically that is a negative sign um, especially when shorter term 
durations on things like treasury bonds, uh, when the shorter duration yields are higher than the longer term durations, that is a negative sign. And plain and simple, when the two year treasury is higher than the 10 year treasury, the yield curve inverts. And when the yield curve inverts, that typically means all hell is about to break loose. Now, there's some other yields that also um, that also basically show, hey, look, when these yields are inverted, we usually get a recession somewhere down the line. So besides the 10 and the two year inverting inversion, causing a recession, you know, somewhere down the line, um, the three month and the 10 year treasuries they actually were able to call eight out of eight recessions. Was it eight out of eight? Yeah. And for the 10 and the two year, when, when the 10 and the two year, uh, inverts seven of those inversions were followed by recessions, according to BCA research. So not only do we have two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth? But, you know, we also had, obviously, the war with Russia and Ukraine. You know, we've got all types of issues with the trade deficit. We've got all types of issues um, with the national debt. Obviously, interest rates have increased significantly, which is just causing all types of downward pressure on businesses and consumers alike. And it's just like, yeah. And people still are in denial about whether we're in a recession because some things like unemployment are still at 3.6% as opposed to 5% and above or whatever the, you know, whatever the number is in order for, you know, everybody to just agree on it. But yeah, man, it's, it's been, it's been very interesting to see all of this play out. So, yeah, I'm just going to keep studying the game and just try to keep an open mind because at the end of it all, man, it really just you got to take it for what it is and adjust accordingly, because ultimately none of us know what the hell is going to happen. None of us know, you know, obviously, based on what I talked about, none of us can truly agree on whether we're in a recession or not. So how the hell are we going to know what's next? how to adjust our portfolios in order to generate alpha or in order to just protect ourselves um, in regards to the downside or just any of the unknown risk or even the known risk per se. But yeah, man, it's, it's, it's very fascinating. And some of it is, is actually quite hilarious too, just in regards to, you know, what we, what we disagree on. And yeah, it's just, it's crazy that, that we go, we argue even, even in times of, 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 you know, turmoil and just panic when we need to be, you know, protecting the nation and, and, and doing whatever we can do to try to just rebuild and fix things. But yeah, again, you hear some people tell it, everything's fine. The consumer is good. You know, businesses, balance sheets are, you know, healthier than they've ever been, blah, 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 blah. But it's just like, I don't know, when you look at when you look at those income statements, when you look at the profit and loss statements, you know, 
when you look at retained earnings, when you look at cost of goods sold, when you look at some of those details, it ain't looking peachy for every single company um, in America, which is obvious. But another thing too is it's gonna, it's gonna, um, and I'm trying to think of who said it. Probably Darius Dell of Macro 42 or 40 uh, or Darius Dell of 42 Macro. Sorry, um, but he basically said something along the lines of, you know. Regardless of whether we are in a, in a technical recession or, or, or a full-on hashtag recession, different businesses are going to be affected negatively at different points within the liquidity cycle. And I'm just paraphrasing, but that's basically what he was kind of saying is like, yeah, it's going to hit people differently at different times. And that's just the bottom line of it. And another thing too is, the Fed is increasing interest rates. They're going to have to cut interest rates at some point. That is probably not going to happen overnight. Ergo, this thing has to play out, you know, and we may or may not get more negative, uh, you know, implications because of this or negative outcomes because of this. But again, nobody really knows. But for whatever reason, we love to make projections. We love to make predictions. Um, we love to think that we know what we're talking about. And we love to think that we know where things are going. Again, all the research that I've done, all of the analysis that I've done, as, as many hours as I spent thinking about this, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, 50% of the time, if you say, oh, you know, everything is going sour. Things are going to crash. At some point, you're going to be right. If you say, this is just a little hiccup, this is a correction, things are going to work themselves out, and we'll be moving to the upside in no time. Uh, things are, you know, as, as good as they've ever been. Balance sheets are as strong as they've ever been. You know, we're about to be headed into another bull market. At some point, you're going to be right. So, yeah, again, that's why I just feel like it's better to just take it for what it is um, and adjust your strategy accordingly. Because at the end of the day, like I said in, in, in previous posts on Instagram and I've said in previous episodes, we're all just trying to, you know, essentially do the same thing, get the same outcomes, very similar outcomes, which is just protecting ourselves from the downside and trying to generate positive returns on our invested capital over a long or short or medium term duration of time. It's that simple in regards to just the overall premise of it. But um, yeah, don't listen to me. I don't know anything about anything. Um, I'm just out here learning as much as I could possibly learn, man. Um, and just trying to implement that. Uh, into my own existence. So yeah, if you found this episode useful, make sure you download, rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast. We got more episodes on the way. Um, I know that was a lot of information. It might've been all over the place, but I did try to come in a little more clear and concise and a little more organized. But yeah, man, more episodes on the way. So I gotta go home, I gotta eat, and then I gotta do some more research and analysis, but I also need to get some rest as well. So if you enjoyed this, again, make sure you download, rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast. As always, we got more episodes on the way. You already know who it is. I'm not gonna say it again. I'm out.